0: Hey, it's Travis. I wanted to take this moment to discuss our sponsor, BetterHelp. I used to think talking to a therapist was a sign of weakness until I started talking to one. It has really helped me limit the negative chatter that can infiltrate my brain. Therapy has helped me become a more insightful person, father, and husband. That's why I'm excited to tell you about BetterHelp. Their online platform makes finding a therapist incredibly easy. Fill out a brief questionnaire and you will be matched with a therapist in just a few days. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, or click the link in my show notes. In doing so, you will be helping this show and you will receive 10% off your first month. If you aren't clicking with your therapist. If you're not getting a good vibe, BetterHelp will allow you to switch your therapist at any time with no additional cost. Online therapy is a game changer for me. I have such an erratic schedule. I work nights, weekends, late, early, holidays, you name it. Being able to video call my therapist from my phone in a call room, at work, or in my car, or whatever, it's extremely convenient for me, and it allows me the time and the the place to actually get my therapy in. So if you're struggling, if you need to talk to somebody, go to betterhelp.com forward slash thank you notes, and they'll get you set up with somebody. This has been my thank you note to BetterHelp for supporting this show. Hi, my name is Travis McVeigh. I'm a board certified anesthesiologist from Dallas, Texas. This is my podcast called Thank You Notes. It's a show about gratitude, medicine, and just feeling good. My guest today is Dr. Josh Blum. He is a child and adolescent psychiatrist from Pennsylvania. Josh and I cross paths on a Facebook group for doctors that are fathers. He has started a podcast recently called Revive and Thrive. It's centered on burnout for specifically for people just like us, Dr. Dads. We talk about his reasons for starting the podcast, his own experience with burnout, and the ways he's been keeping it at bay. So, now let's get into my talk with Dr. Josh Blum. That is good. That's good
1: as Well, welcome
0: to this episode of the Thank You Notes podcast. Uh, I'm here with my guest, Josh Blum. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for asking. Uh, we'll ask this first question that I ask everybody Do you write thank you notes? I do. Yeah. And what was the uh, last one you wrote for? I think the last one that I wrote, my kids
1: had birthdays relatively recently, and I had helped them finish up some ones that uh, they had started. So that was one. And then, but that wasn't really me. Uh, I think the last actual one I did, I was actually, it was actually for a guest uh, for my own podcast. And I was thanking them for some work they had done a number of years ago. So that was probably the last one that I had done.
0: What is your podcast, and what is it about?
1: I had started a podcast back in two thousand and fourteen, I think. Yeah, uh, at the time, uh, I I was my daughter was just born, and it's obviously a great time to start anything. Is when you start kids. <laughs> <laughs> I decided I was going to publish a book then, so I had written a book, an early draft of a book when I was in finished high school, and then I'd been slowly editing it over the years. And then, I don't know, for whatever reason, I decided that was the time. So it, that's what I did. And then in order to proofread the book, uh, I figured I would read it aloud. And I'd gotten the idea, I think, that I would record it in little chunks. And at the time, this was like 2014, right? And so I don't think podcasts were quite as much of a thing as they are now. There was it was a smaller group of people that knew of them and did them. It certainly wasn't really mainstream. I don't even know if Apple Podcast it wasn't called Apple iTunes or whatever. I don't even know if they had it on there. But anyway, that's what I decided to do. is that for the just basically proofreading and then so the first fifteen episodes of my show are me basically reading in I don't know like a third draft basically of my book as a way of proofreading it. And I was actually literally holding my daughter who was an infant at the time in my arms. And so um, when she would fall asleep, essentially, I would I would read the book until she would wake up. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I'd get through two pages. Sometimes I would get through, you know, 20 pages, but uh, that's how it started. And then it kind of evolved into a lot of the stuff I was I write is influenced by the 80s. And so, you know, 80s movies and things like that, and a lot of other creative things that I've done over the years, you know, music and a lot of crafty kind of things, I guess you could say, like making various things. I like to work with mm-hmm. my hands. So, you know, illustrations and uh, making various things. Started making toys for my kids and and that became a whole thing. And, you know, making characters from books I had written, you know, into essentially like 3D, like sculpts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's become a whole thing, um, but it's uh, it's something that I've done weekly, basically, since that point.
0: So, what, again, what, what's the name of the podcast and what is it about?
1: Well, it's hard to characterize. I would say it's, uh, it's the name is The 13th Hour Podcast. It's the mm-hmm. name of the book. One of the main books that I've written is called The 13th Hour. And so the the podcast, I would say, is about uh, probably mostly 80s things. I grew up in the 80s. And so probably a lot of that kind of stuff, like like movies from that time, um, as well as, uh, I would say, the creative process, doing a bunch, a bunch of creative things. And so it's probably mostly about that.
0: Okay. That sounds cool. Well, I'll have to check that out. We're doing a a series now on the Thank You Notes podcast about people that trained us. So tell me about your medical training. Like, Where did you do residency?
1: So residency I did at University of Massachusetts in Worcester. Yeah, so that's my day job. I don't make a living off of podcasting or writing books (laughs) as much as I want to. In some ways, I'm actually glad I don't because having a day job gives me the freedom to basically do what i want in terms of the creative side of things and so uh, if two people read it or 200 people read it it doesn't really matter to me but that's my day job and that takes up Mm -hmm. probably aside from being a a dad takes up uh, and a husband probably takes up most of my time
0: is there somebody from your training that uh, that was like a mentor to you and what what are some lessons that he or she taught you
1: well, I would say one of the mentors I've had uh, is a wonderful human being, and his name is Doug Burnin. He is, uh, I think, now retired, but he was a supervisor for me in my fellowship. So I'm trained as a child psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and so you, know, you have to do a couple extra years of training after residency. And so he was supervising me on a particular project I was doing. And I still have not finished, and I've been meaning to get back to it, but Part of the thing was that I had convinced my uh the program director, who was a wonderful guy, to give me some time each week to do a creative project, uh, because he knew I liked to write and to draw and things like that. So I set aside some time to basically make a comic book. And the comic book was going to be something that was uh could be given to a patient to kind of illustrate a particular thing and uh so doug was actually supervising me on this particular project we would meet generally once a week and just talk about how it was going for whatever reason i don't know why i did this i chose to do the comic book with pictures only no text and so uh i don't know that seemed like an awfully complicated way of doing it but that's what i did so that project uh i got through a fair amount of it and then i i think i either i graduated I graduated, and then what? What stalled out at that project? Probably having kids stalled that project out. But um, it's still something I meant to get back to. But from that, we we met regularly and had a lot of great conversations. Probably the biggest thing that I learned, and we learned many things. I mean, he was just just been wise counsel over the years. But the probably one of the biggest things I would say was a, an offhand comment he probably made once, um, but it stuck with me, and he and he said you know, sometimes all you have is the ability to be curious. And as a psychologist, I mean, you know, really, they, they just have their words, really. And so mm-hmm. doubly important for him, I think. But I mean, the the sentiment was still something that I took a lot away from, which was that you, at the end of the day, your ability to be curious about a particular situation, in this case, he's talking about patients and stuff like that, shows them not only respect, but also... It's a way of actually getting involved in someone's life in a way that makes it more than just going through and trying to get to the end. I mean, so many times I think you see patient after patient after patient, it all starts to seem the same, and it's very easy to kind of get into a rut and uh, kind of lose focus of important things. And I think the idea of asking questions and being curious and continuing to ask why you know why is why is this happening? Why 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 did that happen in that particular way? Um, I think helps keep things not just interesting for you, but is respectful for them, and sometimes is illustrative for them as well. They may not have thought to ask why.
0: Yeah, I re- I really like that. I I try to maintain a healthy level of curiosity because it uh, it keeps you sharp and it keeps you from uh, making mistakes.
1: Yeah, and in fact, I just you know the podcast is a separate podcast, but. The one I've been doing for the Physician Dads on burnout, that's the one I actually recorded um, or a little bit earlier today in between. I had 15 minutes in between patients, and I did it then because I and I knew I probably wouldn't get to it later. But that's the one for this week, and I was actually on that very same topic about asking why and being curious. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was directly due to my mentor.
0: Well, that's a great segue, Josh, because uh, the reason why I wanted to talk to you today is because you have been doing the the revive and thrive burnout podcast on i I guess are we allowed to say physician dad's group i don't i I guess the 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 word is out
1: (laughs) i think so i i you know i don't uh when i was talking to the admins about it i don't think
0: it's a secret uh so so why did you start doing the the podcast
1: essentially i guess for context we're talking about a, a large group of physician fathers who are you know gathering together on Facebook and so but there would be questions that would come up over and over again and a, l- a number of them would be about burnout in various ways I, you know I'd see them and I would always wonder because people would comment on you know here's what you can do uh, that that sucks you know sorry you're in that position have you considered this things like that I always wonder what happens the morning after you know, what happens the next day? Because, you know, it's this half-life of a social media post is maybe a day. If that. that it, it's going on to the next thing. And we're on, it's this endless cycle. So does it translate into anything long-term? Because the same questions would come up over and over again. And I, I wondered, well, what happens if there were more like a consistent space for folks just to think about this and build on knowledge rather than you have to recreate the wheel each time? You know, would that be helpful in any way? Well, I mean, podcasts are episodic, right? I don't need to tell you that, right? So the idea that you can listen to one and hopefully it stands alone, but then, you know, if you went and listened to previous ones, then it would just kind of build on what had come before. And so you could build on knowledge. That's the whole, that's, that, that's how I, and being a podcast person, that's probably
0: what I thought of. Mm-hmm. So what, what's your definition of Burnout. Let's we can start there and then get into the weeds a little bit more.
1: Well, I mean, there's an official de- definition. I mean, it depending on what you read. Um, I mean, it's not a medical term or anything like that, right? And so you're talking about just a, a qualitative description. And usually it has a couple different parts. There's a component of exhaustion, usually, you know, mental exhaustion, and a component of separation where you feel depersonalized in some way, dehumanized uh or just like disconnected from what you're doing, and then emotional exhaustion and it's usually you know in response to some kind of long term stressor and it doesn't have to be work i mean it could be anything really you know people sometimes usually think about it in re- reference to war or domestic violence or bullying mm-hmm. or something like that but I mean it could be really anything um but any- at the end of the day i mean those are those are ultimately just words, and so I guess if I had to pick a definition. It would be this sort of overwhelming sense that what you're doing is on one hand overwhelming, but also meaningless. It feels sort of futile it feels, and it feels, it feels trapped.
0: Yeah. You've mentioned on a few of the episodes that you've had your own experiences with burnout. What led you to think that you were experiencing burnout? What were you going through at the time?
1: Well, I would say the first, it's happened a couple of times, I would say. Um, some work related, some not work related. But the first time actually I was in residency and I, you know, a lot of residents burn out, you know, it's not really, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't think I was, you know, depressed or anything like that. It wasn't sad. Uh, But I, I knew, I noticed that I just hated certain things I did. I, you know, there were certain days that knowing what would come before me would just fill me with a sense of just utter despair and and kind of some, somewhat of dread but it was more like standing in front of an avalanche it kind of felt like you know you know what's coming yeah. and and you know it's like you can't really move and you're like well what do i what do i do you just have to kind of like knuckle down and and kind of take it and so that's what it felt like and I, and we had to do a grand rounds as part of our uh i think it was my last it must have been my last year in residency a psychiatry residencies four years, uh, maybe the third or fourth. I can't remember now. But we had to do it, and I was like, "Well, maybe there's something written about this. Maybe there's something in, you know, the medical literature that talks about this." And I and I and I went looking. I didn't know what it was called at the time, but I had a hint that other people had probably talked about it because it wasn't it wasn't unique. I, I wasn't talking about anything that was unique. Uh, plenty of other residents talked about the same thing, mm-hmm. and so I found it. I found there was quite a bit written. Um, and I ended up doing my grand rounds on that and then sort of, uh, uh, some ideas that I came up with in reference to that. And then, and interestingly, it wasn't really talked about that much then, but, uh, within a couple of years, then the medical community started to put out lots more stuff about burnout and there was, you know, stuff that would come up in conferences and all this kinds of, these kinds of things. And you started to see wellness seminars and all these things that I I was like, well, that's that would probably help. But um, oddly enough, it seemed like the crucial part of it, which is that you can take as many vacations, you can do as many exercise classes as you want. But if the actual work that you do still feels overwhelming and meaningless that it doesn't really matter that much you know yeah. on some level you have to make that part better you have to find meaning in what you do and life is short we only have a certain amount of time so if you cannot find meaning in what you do then what is the point you know and so i remember grappling with this and uh so that's what I that's probably was probably the first time it was it was in my is in residency and then i would say there have been some subsequent episodes and so i knew i knew i was in it because i had studied it i would say a, a, a non work related time came i would say actually just prior to covid it was it was and it wasn't really work related although work did contribute but it was really just parenting my kids were pretty young at that time i was doing a lot of day to day house related stuff and also uh you know trying to work I was, I was just, I was getting to the point. I think, parenting-wise, where it was, it was, it was not a great place. It was not a place that I wanted to be. I remember sitting down with my wife and we were talking about this. And at the time, she was working a pretty intense job, and there wasn't a whole lot of leeway for what we could do. And so, I, I, I you know, I kind of knew what this was, uh, uh, what was going on at that point because I, you know, I'd been through it before in a different context. And oddly enough, the the pandemic actually made it better because now this was a crisis, mm-hmm. and it's all hands on deck. And it I don't say it it actually made things worse in terms of challenge, but because it was something that was different and it was a it was a crisis, I think that helped in an odd kind of way. And I think I think you saw that in the medical community. You know, like people were tired and everything like that. And they had this big crisis, and um, because you were needed. Oddly enough, you had purpose. During that time, you know, my kids needed me. I mean, the mental health needs went through the roof. And so you're needed there. And then so you don't really have time to be burnout. And I think if that had continued on at that pace for however long, I think it probably would have not ended particularly well. And it didn't end well for many people. But uh thankfully, that was not necessarily a long-standing kind of thing, things were at least able to get better for me and my family. So I think that, oddly enough, you know, crisis sometimes makes things a little bit better, at least temporarily.
0: Yeah, I think there was a definite reevaluation of one's priorities when COVID came down. And, you know, nobody really knew what was going to happen. And I took this oath that I would help people and it was really important to me that I would go help people, but like I'm an anesthesiologist and I stare at tracheas all day. So I was really scared at the, at the outset because like, I know I'm going to get this. Yeah. I, I see what you mean about there's a crisis and now all of a sudden you have a purpose and the lack of purpose is kind of what led you down to this road of burnout. But now that you kind of have one, it, I guess it, it made things better for a while.
1: Yeah, I, I think it can. I think the the risk that we run into is that, um, you know, in medicine, there's no shortage of crises, right? You can no. have one after another after another and live your whole life or career that way. And you can't sustain that long term. No, I, I don't think. I mean, uh, you know, it's interesting because the people that trained me, maybe both of us, I mean, that that generation of folks who sort of lived for live to work and that was their whole existence, maybe they could, you know, they, they would live at the hospital and, uh, they were residents in the truest sense <laughs> of the word because mm-hmm. they never left. Right. Yes. And, you know, but I don't, I don't know what happened with their families who raised their kids, what they did when they weren't at work. I mean, I, I got the impression from talking to some of their spouses, you know, <laughs> offline that, they were basically absent as parents. And so I don't think that was just true of all of them, but I, I don't think
0: I could live that way. And so there's too many other things that I like to do. Yeah, true. So when, when one doesn't have the luxury of a pandemic to snap you out of it, what what do you suggest to uh, anybody who may be experiencing burnout?
1: Well, I kind of think, I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's ever compared it this way, but I kind of think like, once you get to that point, it's not like it ever really 100% goes away. I think it's maybe a little bit like being an alcoholic. You always continue to deal with the risk of it recurring at some point, unless there's a lot of things that change that make it possible for you to not get back to that point. However, in in our career, there's a limit to what we can realistically do when we look at a lot of the challenges i think that physicians face from a systemic perspective Mm -hmm. and so if those things are frustrating to you then they probably will continue to be frustrating whether you are 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or retired or whatever i mean i don't think that's going to change very much so i think that it, it ultimately is about what you can do yourself that brings meaning to what you do and allows you to take care of yourself and put some limits on how far you stretch. So I think that was part of the point of the podcast because it's easy to talk about these things. It's easy to talk about the theory and all this other stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you got to do something. Well, you don't have to do anything, right? You, you can no, choose you to don't. Do nothing, right? No, doing nothing is always an option. But that, you know, uh, certainly as I talk about with patients. It's an option, but it has its own side effects. Right. And so there's a lot that you can do. And that was part of the point of the podcast. But there's some things that I found helpful, you know, uh, therapy, individual therapy. I think just getting older helps. I mean, you know, you just become more comfortable in your own skin. I've noticed it's a lot easier, you know, compared to, say, like, I don't know, medical school or residency, being able to say, I don't know. I just, I don't, you know, with patients, you know, they present a problem, you know, when you're younger and you're more inexperienced, you're bound to be more insecure. And you like, well, you know, you, you start to fudge things more, you know, someone's senior asks you a question, you don't answer the blah, 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 all that kind of stuff like that. After a certain point, you you know, you get, hopefully you get to a point where like, I don't know, you're not expected (laughs) to know everything. I'll look it up later, you know, and some people never really get to that point. But there's too much to know. And uh, I think when we pretend that we know everything or are or, or immune to that, I mean, that's we're just kidding ourselves. I think even being able to say, like, I don't care. There's You can't care about everything. Just being able True. to say, like, look, I, not, not, not my circus. Not my circus, not my monkeys. That's your mm-hmm. problem You deal with it. Above my pay grade. I think being able to put some limits on what you're going to deal with, you know, I mean, there's always stuff coming down you know spit rolls downhill right and so there's always stuff coming down you got to do this or this other regulation or blah 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 this other paperwork thing to fill out or this this new rule to follow or do this if it's that important someone will figure out how to get you to do it but otherwise does it really matter probably not
0: that's actually become my policy on emails is that I, i just delete all of them and then uh The ones that from, you know, places I don't, and then if they really want to get me that they'll start emailing me again, because it's just too much. Life is too short to spend, spend it answering emails, right?
1: It's possible to be, I guess, positively procrastinating with email, but does it really get you anything? I don't know. Uh, Exercise, I think is really important. I, you know, I try to make a point to exercise daily. Uh, it doesn't have to be a lot necessarily, but I think just, just movement, movement in general, I mean, yes, it's important. I mean, when there was a time a number of years ago when a large part of my day was spent sitting in a chair and I would leave the end of the day feeling 20 years older, everything would hurt. And, uh, I mean, it had something to do with the sitting surface and all that kind of stuff like that, but I don't do that anymore. I've come up with other ways of doing it, and it's it's worth it to me. But I think you have to find something that works for you in that way. I think when when we get stressed, we do a whole bunch of things in our body that sometimes are not very adaptive, but our body responds in the same way. Um, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, when I'd be stressed at work, I'd have a tendency to kind of lean forward in the chair and then, and then not actually use the back support at all. You know, I have a tendency to round out my shoulders and hunch over and, you know, do that 10 hours a day or whatever it is you're working when you're seeing patients or typing out notes or on the phone or whatever other stuff you're doing. It adds up. So I I try to spend um, time stretching. I definitely lost flexibility in my lower back and hamstrings and areas like that for a while during that period of time when I was spending a lot of time sitting and it was not good for my body. So nothing I think makes you feel more burnt out than dealing with chronic pain. Cause it's, it's right. a thing that nags at you and it makes everything worse.
0: I actually just listened to your episode about posture, P for posture. And I, I didn't really see where you were going with it, but then, yeah, it's, and that's kind of the thing that I like about the, the revive and thrive is that there's some actionable, things that you can do or maybe things that you didn't think of that may be contributing to not just your burnout but just your overall bad mood and that that being one of them and i think if i had to sum it up it's it's how to change your practices and change your mindsets and maybe uh chip away at the burnout block
1: yeah i think uh one of the, so I've been involved, I've started martial arts, you know, when I was 13 or something, I've been doing that ever since. And I think, you know, sometimes um, those kind of practices and things like that have been very helpful. And I think one, one way to look at it is sometimes people will when they're just getting involved with something like that, I'll just use the example of martial arts because it's, it just happens to come to mind, but they'll say like, well, when, you know, when is, when is the best time I should work on, you know, something like my, my, you know, flexibility or strength or something like that, or, or coordination. You know, you can set aside specific times to do that. Um, but ultimately, it's all about movement and finding a way to incorporate those things into your day to day life so that you're constantly practicing. It may not be an a official session where you're saying, like, okay, I'm going to go practice this technique or whatever for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever you're just doing it throughout the day as part of your life. And right. so I think that's the approach that I took with some aspects of those podcast episodes because there's little things that you can incorporate into your into your work day for sure but also in other aspects of your life like your life as a father or husband or whatever. And I guess the other thing, the most important thing probably is meaning because all these other things are great but if if it's you can't polish a turd, right? If you if you cannot find meaning in what you do, then I'm not really sure why you should be doing it. So I work with students in a college setting and I have said no to most other things that are not that. So working in inpatient units and all those other kinds of things like that, that often will come with most other jobs. Um, I've tried to minimize call and because that is what I like to do. And the other stuff I find to be a drain. I do not, I find it to be a, uh, a high ticket to burnout and feeling negative about what I do. And so I figured if I'm going to try to uh, have some longevity at all in this uh, field of medicine, in this arena, then uh, I'm going to have to find a way to prioritize the things that actually give me some pleasure and some of the things I'm actually good at and I feel privileged to be able to work with students who are you know struggling at a sort of crucial point in their life and you know helping be a voice for them uh, as they're finding theirs is is rewarding now it won't be that for everybody you know but making that a priority has been helpful but I've had to say no to uh, many other things other other good opportunities and other things that people wanted me to do and and sort of uh, said like well you should really be doing this and I said can't help everybody.
0: What is it about working with college aid students? Like, how did you come to find that as your calling?
1: It's a good question. I don't really know. I think I've always wanted to do it uh, throughout residency. Maybe I remember telling people about that, and they said, "Oh, okay." You know, I didn't. I, I, I encountered very few people that did it, but I always thought it would be interesting. I think I've always been interested in that particular transition between childhood and adulthood. You know, with psychiatry, you get trained to be an adult psychiatrist first, mm. um, learning how to work with families and those kind of things like that is, uh, is very important. Um, but then as a child psychiatrist, you, uh, which I did the next part of my training, you often spend a lot of time working with, with smaller children and also with families, but mainly parents. And so I was sort of interested in an intersection between the two. So neither one really kind of, uh, they both helped, but neither one kind of totally prepared me for it. But I think at that particular point in your life, you're not quite a kid. You're not quite an adult. Uh, you have aspects of both. So it was interesting to me in that way. And uh, that's a time when you have a lot of stuff that's before you, a lot of big decisions in your life, but you know, people's brains are not developed to the point where they are when they're older. And so there's a lot of turmoil in that point. I think for a lot of people, their late teens and their and their 20s are just like a a wash with, you know, who am I? How do I fit in the world? All these other kinds of sort of almost like existential kinds of things. So it was an interesting period of time. And I I guess I I guess I also found I'm not I'm not a super activist kind of person, like rah-rah, rah, rah, rah mm. save the whales or whatever, but. I've noticed that society tends to rail against the new generations. So the more they tended to rail against the millennials and the Gen Zs, I was like, "Well, why? Mm -hmm. What's so special about you? You know, (laughs) the previous generations did it to you." So I guess the more more they kind of got on those uh, on the case of younger folks, the more I guess impassioned I became in wanting to at least help speak for them. So I think those are some some little things.
0: I I think a lot about us uh, doctors. Because a lot of us made the decision to go to medical school when we were in that period of time in our life. Like I was 19 and I was a, I was an idiot (laughs) and there's a lot of weight that gets put on the decisions that you make with that not fully formed brain. And I I just always think about that when I, when I encounter patients or anybody from that age group and uh, the fact that you, you dedicated your life to that, that is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I was probably a little bit older
1: when I came to that decision to go into medicine, but it, it wasn't a decision that came easily, and it was one I grappled with, I would say, probably for years. I didn't come to full peace uh, of it until probably I was in the middle of residency. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that you never make decisions with the full information, and that's often much of life, I guess, right? You know? Right. And I think, it's, I think it's probably even maybe a little bit harder for folks today because there's more information at your fingertips. The mm-hmm. uh, world is, um, I don't know if it's more complicated. Maybe it is. Maybe it seems more complicated. I don't know. But uh, there's a lot more possibilities that seem open because there is just more information. So I think that adds to it for the uh, current generation.
0: All right, Josh. Uh, we're, we've gotten to the uh, thank you notes portion of the uh, episode. I've, I wrote you a little thank you note. It says, Dear Josh, thank you for creating the Revive and Thrive Burnout Podcast. The response I've been noticing on the PDG has been great, and I've really enjoyed reading and participating in the discussions that come with every episode. You're doing this just out of the the love of your heart and the love of your fellow physicians. And with this burnout epidemic that we are currently experiencing throughout medicine— we doctors are going to have to look out for each other, and thanks for doing that for us. Thank you, Travis. Well, thank you. So
1: uh, you had asked me to write a thank you note as well. I did. So I've written a thank yous to a couple of different people, I guess. So I wanted mm-hmm. to thank all the different people in my life who served as my teachers. Okay. So I didn't know that it was going to be, you were going to have a sort of series on mentors and teachers and stuff like that. But that's kind of where my thoughts went anyway. And so I would say, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all the people in my life who served as my teachers. And so it starts with my parents, first and foremost, and they've continued in in that way on into the present. I'd like to thank my teachers in school who took the time to pass on knowledge, as well as mentors that I've had, either formal or informal, that I've had over the years. And I'd like to thank people I haven't met, but who wrote books that I read as a child that inspired me or who were involved in things like creative works, like movies or things like that, or music that maybe want to do those things or inspired me in some way, or been a source of comfort. Um, I'd like to thank all my patients over the years. Um, I've learned a lot from my patients and they've helped me to become not just a better doctor, but also recognizing a lot of things I don't know. And I'm often humbled by their honesty and willingness to share very difficult aspects of their life with a total stranger. On a uh, more personal level, like I thank all the people who've supported something creative that I've done over the years, listening to music that I've made or read books that I've written or checking out my other podcast uh, or buying things that I've made, you mm-hmm. know, toys and stuff like that I've, I've created, which originally, a lot of that stuff was originally just for me or my kids. You know, these are things that I would have done anyway, regardless of anybody was listening or paying attention. But it is certainly nice to meet other people who are interested in similar things. And Mm -hmm. I've been appreciative of that. They can share the journey. And, you know, picking backing off of that, I'd like to thank all my guests who I've had on my podcast over the past uh, nine years. And I've learned a lot from them. And I probably wouldn't have met a lot of those people in day-to-day life. So I'm very grateful for something that just started as a, I don't want to say throwaway idea, but I never really thought that that podcast I've been doing for the last nine years would uh, lead to the kind of friendships and kind of relationships that I've been able to make. And so uh, I'm grateful for that. And lastly, I'd like to thank my uh, my uh wife and my children, uh, not only for their love, but just continue to teach me things all the time about their world and how they experience things. And then, well, actually, there's a PS. Thank you, Travis. For
0: inviting me Oh, to you know, Josh, you are you are the first person to include me in their thank you note. Really? Yes. Well, somebody thank the group that I I work for, but to, to that you were the first person to thank me by name. So let let it let the record state that Josh Blum was the first person to thank me. On here. <laughs> it seems like it should it should
1: uh, it should thank you being it's a thank you
0: podcast so yeah one would think but it's it's we're i don't know 20 some odd episodes in and you're the first person to come to that realization so i'm sure it'll
1: happen again i hope so i'm sure
0: yeah well thank you that's you You i guess you painted all the corners there you you knocked them all out i really enjoyed hearing that and it seems like you have a healthy sense of gratitude for uh the people in your life the the people you know the people you don't know and uh that's translated, I guess, a uh, healthy well-being for you.
1: I've gotten
0: that way. I wouldn't say
1: that's always mm-hmm. been the case, but it's a, it's a process. I try to end each day thinking about some of the things that went well, some of the things I'm thankful for. And I think that that, but that has been a conscious choice. And I think that's something that's helped, you know, I would say over the years, maybe I should do an episode on that particular thing. Cause that's a little actionable step that I've taken in my own life to work on these kinds of
0: things yeah i guess we you still haven't done episode uh t t for thank you note
1: maybe maybe i should maybe i should uh maybe i should do that so Mm -hmm. link back to Ah, this one
0: we will uh okay last question josh i i ask this for most podcasters that come on here uh who is your dream podcast guest and what would you talk about my dream podcast guest Aside from Travis from
1: the uh, Thank You Notes podcast,
0: (laughs) I'd say you could dream a little bigger. Yeah, Uh, I
1: I I would say I've had most of my dream guests. To be honest with you, like who? So uh, let's see. About a year ago, um, I'm I'm a big fan of the movie The Rocketeer from 1991. I like that movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but
0: I have. Well, I I saw it when I was like 10. But
1: yeah, yeah, we're probably about the same age. So I saw it then. And over the years, it just became a favorite movie. And uh, so, Billy Campbell, who plays the Rocketeer in the movie, mm-hmm. um, he came to the show about a year ago. I was uh, that was definitely one of my dream guests. He was a great guy and a wonderful human being. And uh, there's been uh, a couple others that are similar like that. But um, like I said, I've gotten a chance to connect with people through that podcast in a way that I never really thought would be possible. I never would have met any of these people in day-to-day life. And uh, so, but be through that uh, I have, it's taken obviously a lot of
0: work and those kind of things like that, but mm. that's okay. Okay. That's life. And the, uh, the post dream guest bliss.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, I would say like uh, with every mountain you cross, there's always another one, right? there's mm. always, more things to do and i think by doing that you keep life interesting for example um you had mentioned the last thank you note that i wrote so the last thank you note that i had written i mean it happens to be another movie sort of thing i don't have movie related folks on the podcast that often but i do sometimes and um so if you've ever seen the 1986 movie space camp uh God. this was well it, it's it's a sort of a capsule in time i liked it when i was uh, it was my favorite movie when i was probably about nine mm-hmm. an astronaut for a long time and so one of the cast members leah thompson who you remember from back to the future oh yeah or the dog oh yeah so i was communicating with her and i was thanking her for her role in space camp
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it made you want to be an astronaut for like 10 years
0: here at space camp the movie i just looked it up yes Oh, I, love, I love me some Leotard, Red Dawn, especially.
1: Now that's one I have not seen in quite a while, but yes. Oh, some. man.
0: Oh, I love that movie. Well, I'll have to go
1: back. Maybe in in, in your honor, I'll have to go back and rewatch it. I probably haven't seen it since I was a teenager, but yeah.
0: I, I, well, I don't know. Do you enjoy like movies that are so bad that they're good?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I watched a lot of them for the podcast, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My brother and I do. We sort of a, It ends up being sort of monthly, but... It generally is something from the eighties, but it's like so yeah, because I write a lot of fantasy related stuff. So we often will do an eighties fantasy movie. And there's yeah. some real turkeys in there. But I mean, you know, they have a certain charm to them. Sometimes yeah. the worse they are, you know, the better they the better they are.
0: Well, I never know, like, did did they really set out to to make a movie this bad knowing that it would be good, or did they really think that this is real people are gonna think this is really cool?
1: Sometimes I think it's both. Uh-huh. I guess there's lots of different ways of entertaining people, right? and so uh
0: whatever (laughs) whatever works whatever (laughs) whatever puts the butts in the seats that's true all right josh this has been uh this has been really nice thank you for coming on and i'll be listening to the rest of the revive and thrive pod
1: sure thank you for your support and thank you for having me on
0: Josh and I stayed on the call and chatted a bit after we were done. He's a good guy. I enjoyed getting to spend some time with him. If you would like to be like Josh and thank me, interact with the show through any of the social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, or you can email me at thankyounotespod at gmail.com. Send me a thank you note for me, your dog, your mom, your teacher, anybody, and I might feature it on the show. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, praise, exalt, and publicly cherish this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.